Season 6 of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media. Choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. Season 6 of the CMO Suite is also sponsored in part by Uconnex. Uconnex provides managed services in the programmatic space for brands and agencies across the U.S. and internationally. It uniquely provides true transparency in the programmatic space by sharing how much of each campaign actually goes to publishers, platform, and how much is profit. If you are looking to better understand true working dollars or are just looking for an audit of your existing digital partnerships, visit them at uconnex.com. That's Y-O-U-C-O-N-N-E-X.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, no kid hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org. And don't forget to visit Marketing Cast to catch any previous seasons you might have missed of the CMO Suite or to check out other amazing podcasts in the industry. Once again, that's marketingcasts.com. Now, let's start the show. You're in the CMO Suite, the podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. We're listening to the CMO Suite. This is Sean Halter. This is season six. We are rounding the corner on the back half of the season. As a reminder, the CMO Suite is presented in part by Bid for Media. Bid for Media provides biddable media solutions for brands and agencies across the U.S. I'm excited to have as my guest today the Chief Marketing Officer at Blurb, Paramita Bhattacharya. How are you today? Hi, Sean. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining me. You know, the thing I love a lot about this podcast is we get a chance to talk to people really all over the world to some extent. And sometimes some of my favorite opportunities are those that are in a space that we don't necessarily hear about all the time. And uh, in many cases, that's business to business. Uh, We as a company have a SaaS, a platform that we are rolling out this year. And being in that space now, which is new for me, Sometimes I feel like I just want to take a pen and just kind of jab it in my eyeball, uh, Parmita. So I don't know how you've managed to stay in this crazy side of the business. There are many days I wish I could just go back to dealing with, you know, beer companies or CBD companies. But no, I, I got this wild hair that I decided that SaaS was the one thing I haven't tackled yet. And so, and yet, and so here we are. So uh, welcome to the show. Talk to me a little bit about where you actually grew up. Did you grow up here in the US? I did not. I actually grew up in India and came to this country in my early 20s. And this year is my 25 years of being in the States, much of which or most of which has been in the Silicon Valley. And so you grew up in India, what part? Uh, New Delhi. You know, obviously, I'm assuming you've been back often uh, over those 25 years. Yes, I still do. My, my family still lives there. My parents are still there and siblings and stuff like that. So yes. Yes. Pretty amazing. Even 25 years later, India still seems to lead the way in development. You know, my a daughter here is amazing. She's an amazing graphic arts designer, but I have begged her for years to go into uh, development, and she just uh-huh. she's like, "Nope, that's not for me." But my gosh, I mean, if there's any country that really has found 
an opportunity for people in that country to be able to do something where there's clearly plenty or seems to be often plenty of demand. Uh, India seems to have led the way, at least from my perspective. What is your perspective on that? You know, I think at the high school and the school level, not just high school, I should say just sort of education level, there is a lot of emphasis on math. And then, you know, as computer science came into play, computer science, I think, has sort of taken up a big spot. And I think what's ended up happening, and, you know, STEM's always been, and I think this probably sort of resonates, you know, parts of China as well. There are parts of that Asian continent, you know, India, China, Singapore, that are so much just at the very base level, giving so much of math and STEM that I think that path to development is already formed when they are coming out of there, Uh, which is not to say we are not doing it, but I think they're probably doing it more. You know, you think, again, you've lived here now for 25 years. Do you have kids? Do you mind if I ask? I do. I have a senior in high school who is headed to college. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Tough times, though. (laughs) Majoring in math or science or... No, no. You know, it's interesting. What have have you done wrong, Parmita? What have you done wrong? (laughs) I did not major in those myself, right? Um, You know, I am a liberal arts major. I love, um, you know, I love the... I was actually on a speaking engagement this morning. This is the second one of my day. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the arts in terms of social sciences and political sciences and behavioral sciences. But I'll tell you, I am glad that I have a rigor of math because, you know, as a marketing leader, there's a ton of data work. You know, there are data scientists, marketing modern framework is a lot about the intersection of, you know, data and creative campaigns. And Certainly, I'm managing budgets, have been doing that for a long time. And I feel like I am, you know, never consciously thinking about it. But boy, do am I glad I do have a good base for it. And it seems as if, I don't want to say now more than ever, but I remember when I was a young marketer and just getting into this crazy business and kind of sales and marketing, that was like where it was, hey, maybe we start blending these two worlds together. That's right. Well, that's long past now, but to your point, Math is involved in everything. You know, we started this, you know, the bit of this podcast of me joking about the fact that I'm now in, you know, in SAS, but it's a whole other language. I, you know, when we started it and they're showing me code and they're telling me that this needs to be in Django and I've got to be on Slack and I've got to, you know, everything needs to be Python or I didn't know what any of that language was. It it might as well have been, you know, a, a foreign language. And yet that is where everything is headed. Every agency, every marketer, if you're not spending time understanding to some extent that world of software service, everything is building off of that to some extent because the path to consumer is now extremely direct. You know, many of us don't even go to a grocery store anymore. True. And I would say if, you know, that's of course on the product side, I would say, yes, your software as a service. I mean, I think you're right. Service in itself is a component. I think that will just be everywhere. It almost won't matter what your product is. You have to have a service. You know, that's one part of the equation I agree. And I think that is a world I would say I was lucky to get on early as a result of working at, you know, one of the companies that really did pioneer sort of the, the transformation to SaaS. Was that but I think the, Hitachi or Adobe? No, Adobe. Yeah. yeah. To, um, but in the other side, Sean, you know, if you're a marketer, you are dealing with brand. You're dealing with customer engagement. You're dealing with, you know, demand. You're dealing with digital marketing. All of that today, 
while very much about being creative and storytelling mm. and you know uh, about segmentation all of that you know sits on bunch of data you know and how quickly can you analyze the data how good are you driving insights from the data that's a lot of numbers you're actually looking at you know and not all of them are telling you stories you are sort of deriving the stories out of there so i of course you know look at tech as the tech industry and the software and the service component but i also think if you are marketing beer you're marketing shoes like nike you are still doing subscription and you have to you know you can't stand at the back of the room anymore at 50 and hope gosh maybe i just don't need to learn this you know can i <laughs> can i just squeeze out five more years it's too late you have to be in it you have to understand it even if it's to your point kind of understanding that language we had chris kohler um who's the cmo over at, at box on an earlier episode of the podcast i think he also spent some time uh, at adobe i recall maybe having that as part of that conversation so talk about your time Uh, at Adobe. How was that for you? How did you land that job? What do you feel like you walked away, uh, you know, learning more about from your time there? Cuz there's a gorilla in the room certainly to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so, you know, I would say Adobe probably was in the right stage of my career. You know, it's when you are sort of getting to mid-level and from mid-level to senior and my time there was close to about a decade. and so certainly saw you know a transformation of the company and a transformation of my career or journey of my career i would say there were a couple of key areas and then we'll certainly talk about saas when i joined adobe it was still a perpetual licensed business model perfect you know launch marketing product marketing product launches that was my world largely you know that is what every 12 months the creative suite mm-hmm. would get updated and we would go into a launch and we certainly knew our you know audience and we certainly tried to know more about our audience we had all kinds of product testing before the product rolled out with new features but we were also you know in the creative suite dealing a lot with mature products right and we had started to see you know we all sort of would joke about you know which dot release would not even make a difference because people would not upgrade mm-hmm. you know and largely in the you know world of software you are trying to get new customers in but you're mostly trying to get your existing customers upgraded you know sure. that philosophy doesn't change in saas just moves a different takes a different shape and so when and and you know i spent a lot of time in the corporate marketing team which was dealing a lot with the website marketing we were still i would say ahead in the game as in really understanding what web marketing and generating demand really means from a web perspective you know across the board and certainly there was a team that was starting to get into databases and you know managing sort of um uh, customer data and things like that you know and of course all of the sort of the launch concept and international right it's a big global company so i really got my chops in product launches you know in 22 countries what does it mean to do a centralized launch with localized versions and you know different countries what does it mean to have different kind of toolkits you know what are the different functions that set that builds your go to market you know mm. and i would say that is really my biggest sort of anchor and foundation of building a go to market which is really what marketing leaders and marketing teams do the the sort of the big uh, spike of course came 
as Adobe decided to move into SaaS. And, you know, I remember there was a pilot ran in the early days in, in Australia and the results were so promising that we started to sort of think about, you know, the next launch in a more of a cloud launch or part of a cloud launch as well as, you know, maybe stay some part of a suite launch. But very soon it all really moved towards a subscription. I was just going to say, I just remember like when I was a kid, my dad would say things like, when I used to go to school, you know, I had to walk in snow that was like this high. But, you know, what I say to my daughter, because she's in that design, you know, I tell her, I remember when you used to have to go to the store yes. and buy the box. Buy the CD, yes. You had to get the, the, you had to get yes. the CDs, you yes. know? Yes. That's all yes. on God. That, that's the, no, that's and, the closest and, and that I can come true. to it. And that is true. And I think, you know, there are two, two learnings out of that. One is you're absolutely right. I think it's a given now. You're not going anywhere to get something. So your product is in the cloud and you're most of the time you're trying to, you know, whether it's your Uber or whether it's your DoorDash, it is a cloud product that you're getting. Then you're getting some service with it, right? Which actually is why you want to keep with it a lot of the time. And then the other thing is it's always there. So, you know, that to me from a marketing perspective was sort of one of the biggest pivots, I would say. I was very much the traditional launch marketer, right? You do product launches, you know, you move demand, you, you know, look at your upgrade audience, you look at your new customer audiences, you have events, you have, you know, all these functions. But what you did is, you know, you sort of went big in the market when you launch new things. Whereas if you look in the world of SaaS, your customers are signing up at any given point of time. They are not signing up based on where you and your launch cycle is. They are signing up based on a need. It's almost an evergreen, always on cycle. And so what that means is you're going from a product launch to a customer life cycle journey. And I think that is sort of the biggest place that I sort of do today. Is there a chance, and again, I don't want you to ever speak ill of a company that did an amazing, you know, was an amazing part of your path, but is there a chance that Adobe's gotten so big at this point that they've perhaps lost that way to some extent when it comes to that internal customer. I know for me specifically, I mean, anytime I struggle with support with Adobe, it's very hard to get a person. It's <laughs> very hard. And so how, you know, again, not asking you to speak about Adobe specifically, but how do you manage that? You know, when you become so big, it's much easier when you're small, you can scale, but when you become that big, does it even matter anymore? Or if you're not careful, have you... Have you had so many of your existing customers just kind of throw their hands up and yet they're not really sure where else to turn, but it kind of, it kind of dampens the brand a little bit sometimes. And so how do you navigate that from your perspective? Again, not asking you to specifically speak about Adobe, but really anybody, anybody that gets that big, how do you, how do you still keep your, you know, your fingers into those who've, who've been there with you for 20 years? You know, I think there are a couple of things in your question, Sean. One is I was touching on that customer life cycle, remember? And so from a customer lifecycle perspective, any company, you know, in the SaaS business has to organize themselves from a customer point of view, you know, because you have everything from awareness to support. So we, you're talking about customer support as an example, you know, that's really hampering your relationship with this particular company in this case. But that's what I mean by the go-to-market. When I look at go-to-market now, I do not look at, oh, this is a marketing thing or this is a sales thing. 
or this is support. You know, it has to be a customer life cycle. And actually at Blurb, I, you know, the customer support um, and care reports into me because we want to build an end-to-end life cycle journey where all of these things are connected. If we are getting a lot of complaints from the customer support side about a particular thing, we know that we probably need to change something. You know, if pricing is an issue, we probably need to get out there and not necessarily change pricing, but talk a lot about why our pricing is in that place. And so I think that is one element. The other element you're talking about is when you get so big. I mean, how do you get? You always care about customer support and service. And I think we all have our favorites. You know, we all work with brands or we all you know, interact in our personal journeys and our professional journeys with brand. And we talk about brands that really support us well, you know, in terms of just picking up the phone or, or writing a chat and, you know, getting our issues addressed and taken care of. And then there are brands where we, of course, are not. I will say if your product is anything to do with tech and software, chances are you probably have have problems with, you know, even if your customer support is running at a very good um sort of rhythm, you probably will still have issues and you will have to figure out how to solve for that. You have to figure out how it impacting your NPS and you'll have to figure out your CSAT and, you know, you have to really focus on that. So I do think it's a big part of marketing world, if you ask me today. Listen, if you can just get me a live person at Adobe, if you have the secret number at some point, just, just send it to me via text. I just want to talk to a human being who can tell me what's wrong. Let's talk about your time at Blurb. I want to, I want to actually kind of jump off of the, the last point that you just made. We had as a guest several years ago, uh, Charlie Cole. At the time, he was the CMO over at Toomey Bag. He's now the CEO over at FTD. And I do remember within that conversation, which was maybe three or four years ago even now, he had talked about one of the biggest transformations that he made when they were at Toomey was changing the way that they spoke to, to their customers. And it, rather than having a form fill on a page and saying, jump through yeah. these hoops, they used a lot of different technology and software to be able to say, look, wherever, they're, wherever they have a problem, wherever they want to post that they're struggling with us, we want to listen. And we want to go to them, not make them come to us. That's still stuck in my brain. You know, I mean, that was so... You know, it's not an inexpensive product. You know, no. and um, and so many you know SaaS products are not inexpensive. It's not no. like it's a ten dollars subscription. I mean, we you know we use software service within our industry. It's two grand, right, or twenty yeah. five hundred dollars a month. Yeah. That's not that's not cheap. You know, right. um, and you want to make sure you are actively using it to get recover that. Yeah. So yeah. talk about how did you end up at Blurb? I mean, again, obviously you had a journey a few different places along the way before you ended up there. Um, you started there uh, around January of last year. And so how, how did that uh, come about for you? You know, I, careers happen. Sometimes you don't plan. I was exiting Nokia in the December of 2019 and had initially thought that I would probably take a few months off. But Blurb came along and was really interesting for me for two reasons. One was... The world of Blurb, which is a derivative of the world of customer audiences of Adobe. So our world of Blurb audiences and customers are generally 50% consumers, but a large 50% of them are what are independent creative professionals, you know, that are making a living as a creative professional, either a photographer, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or a graphic designer or anything of that. I know that world a lot, right? I spent that 10 years at Adobe. Of course, Adobe is only creative professionals, but I know that world. So, you know, it was definitely a slam dunk from an audience perspective, but I was very much taken 
pleasantly were surprised to hear as I was talking to them about Blurb being in this unique category of, you know, a book creation tool that allowed you to, you know, of course, take a printed book, you know, snap fresh of the world and shutterflies of the world do that, but they also allow you to sell on a bookstore. So here is suddenly in my mind, this marketplace, right? You are, you, if you are an independent photographer and you are, you know, you have a portfolio of something and you, you know, created copies of it and you're able to, with one click, have access to a bookstore that you can sell on as well as we allow people to sell it to Ingram and Amazon too. So this whole publishing aspect that comes into play or a selling aspect and think about where Sean, the world of that has been in the last few years. Think how well Etsy has done, you know, think, think about people minted.com has done where, you know, it, these are marketplaces where very unique, creative, you know, regular products are, you know, finding their way and people really, you know, understand the premiumness of it. So I think that sort of gave me really an interesting angle. And then, you know, Blurb was going into or was planning to go into an M&A and I was, you know, very much sort of, you know, enthused by the fact that I can help them you know, go through that. And I had never worked at a small company, Sean. You know, I've lived in Silicon Valley for 20 plus years, never worked at a startup, never worked at a small company, have always worked at 500, Fortune 500 companies. This was my chance to flex that muscle. You know, that's, you brought up a lot of interesting points there. As I look back at the pandemic and everything that's happened during the pandemic, I have quite a few friends. It's not that they found a bunch of free time, but their time was adjusted. And at the same time, for a lot of us, it was kind of this moment, especially for those of us that have been, you know, doing this to some extent. I'm 52, um, you know, pardon me, to my club age is 44. So I'm just going to throw, you know, that out there. But uh, let me just say without giving my age, please. I'm in your club yes. age and in your no. vicinity. I am not too far from there. <laughs> For a lot of us, this moment was a moment to try to take stock, to take stock not only in yourself, in your career path. There's quite a few of us that have decided, I've always had this book idea or this book concept in my head. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to make the time to do it. We're actually, strangely enough, that was part of the interest that I had in, you know, potentially having you on the show was you'll be part of the first hundred guests uh, that we'll have had on the podcast. We'll finish it at a hundred guests at the end of the season. We're putting out a book. We're going to put out a book of all those first 100 guests. And, you know, we're going to use blurbs from each of those episodes and then some follow up from there. So, you know, again, if you can give me a little inside track on blurb, we'd love to be able to use the product uh, as we put the book out. And then, you know, if that isn't, uh, if that doesn't bring the world a little full circle to have, you know, a guest on whose product we actually end up using somewhere along the way where, you know, we hope to do it. I love that. Sean, thank you. I want to see that, make that happen. So, you, you know, you and I, I'm sure we'll be connected. You just ping me when you're ready and we'll get you through the process. And I think that's such a fabulous idea. Like, you know, everything is digital today, right? One of my biggest thing is I am actually a very early digital adopter. That was part of my career. That's part of my DNA. But there's something very unique about having that divide between digital and physical and still having physical things. You know, I can't tell you, I mean, COVID saw a surge in e-commerce, just period, right? But COVID did see a surge in this, you know, we are in a discretionary spend, right? Do you want to gift a photo table book to your family or memory keeping of your last trip? Or do you want to buy an iPhone? You know, the answer could very well differ and lean more towards an iPhone, even though the cost structures are a little different. Um, 
But, you know, we found a ton of resonance in audiences that were holed up in their homes, you know, where grandparents were not able to see their grandkids, you know, where people were not going anywhere. They were certainly not taking vacations and they were leaning in on their memories. And Blur was a perfect platform for them to come in and sort of give, you know, a place for their memories. And certainly our business did do very well in that, you know, in the heart of the COVID. You talked about the fact that you've been with these very large companies and here was your chance to kind of train a different muscle. What do you feel like you learned the most uh, in in this time at Blurb? What what for you has been this kind of interesting um, opportunity for you that you find in working with small companies, especially coming from large ones like Adobe? You know, there are a couple, of course. I would say the biggest one, and I think my, you know, I joined Blurb and I was two months in office and then Obviously, you know, San Francisco moved into COVID shutdown very early by March. I think COVID probably colored a little bit of my, you know, my first time, small time experience. But I would say from a shift and agility perspective, I think it was easier to move. You know, we are a small company. We, sure. in fact, had daily stand-ups across the company. We, we asked everybody to just come in for a 10-minute daily stand-up because we were not walking the hallways you know, of our company. I know that larger companies struggle to put something in place and it took them a while. But I will say the flip side of this is, you know, the support systems are not as extensive and as vast and things that you can lean on. I'm used to leaning on, say, from recruiting a very deep bench. I'm used to be able to recruit A players, you know, who are just going to look at a name of a company and then, you know, want to be Mm -hmm. part of it. It's a little bit of a you know challenge to get into that level of support, and you really do train your muscle to really do a lot by yourself. And I've gotten a hang of it now, but it you know it, it was like quickly understanding. No, there are certain things I have to drive. You know, it's not a system that will drive itself, or I have to figure out. You know, the entrepreneurial part kicks in. Creates a level of agility, you know, that you creates that a level you have of agility. Have. Yeah. But at the same time, depending on how long you stay there, whether you stay there for the rest of your career or it becomes part of your overall journey, I value the conversations that I have with people who've worked at big companies and then they take a step that direction, if for no other reason other than it allows them, to your point, to use some different muscles in some other ways. And perhaps that becomes a longer part of their journey because they realize that they have a real passion for that. They can actually often feel as if they can see that they're making a difference. And that's much yeah. harder in a large organization. You know, if you're the CMO Absolutely. of Kraft, it's really hard to feel like, oh my gosh, this product launch I did really you know, made a difference in, in our macaroni and cheese sales. Um, at the same time, it also can tr- you know, train you at a deeper appreciation sometimes of just actual teams. Like, wow, you know, these, these young scrappy kids are out here doing, you know, wearing lots of hats yeah. and now I'm doing some of that same stuff. I don't have an assistant to my assistant and how do I navigate my way through that? And, and to me, it probably just makes you feel a little younger to some extent because you're really <laughs> learning. You know, you have to, you don't have a choice. You are learning and like I said, and you're right, you know, it's probably a part of the overall experience. You are playing at different scale, right? You're definitely playing at different scale. And I'll tell you, you know, the entrepreneurial part, all of that kicks in. But the biggest thing, if I have to tell you, is you are very close to the business. You know, if you are in a small company and you are on the exec team, you have as much to win and lose in terms of the business versus if you're in a bigger company, 
you know, that's a shared that, and especially in my case, which is public companies, there are all other factors here. You literally are caught up in the business of it. It's your own, literally. Yeah. You know, if you don't make that money, you're in your company doesn't make that money. You literally don't make that money. That's it. Yeah. You don't eat. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you get a deeper understanding of fundamental financials because you are involved in it. You're taking decisions around it, you know? Um, and I think those are good, you know, those are good muscles to have for marketing leaders. Let's talk with the few minutes that we have left again. It's Parmita Bhattacharya, uh, Chief Marketing Officer over at Blurb. Um, with the last question, it's really about SaaS itself. And so, you know, selfishly, as I mentioned, uh, our holding group has a SaaS platform that we are rolling out this year. I've never built in SaaS. I've had great, you know, advisors along the way, most of which taught me the most important word in SaaS is patience, which is something I've always had very, very little of. We've always built companies that were just based on people. So we'd go out, we'd sell whatever it was that we'd sell, and we'd hire the people, the work would get done, you make a little profit, everybody gets to drink a beer at the end of the day. I mean, this thing has been eight, 18 months in development, just development. We've thrown out so much stuff that we built 18 months ago because it already was dated You know, a year after that or whatever. Yeah. And so for anybody who's thinking of getting into that space, um, or the marketing side of a new SaaS product, what advice do you think you would have for them other than patience? Patience is what you have internally, but externally as a marketing leader, you have to build awareness. You know, first of all, it depends which category you are going to be throwing yourself in. And then you have to build uh, awareness around it, but you have to test. You know, this is a thing about SaaS. You can test continuously, right? You know how many people are signing up. You know what, which price tiering, you know, they are signing up for. You can start to shift those. You don't do that when you're doing just software marketing. You are able to do that. You can play with your pricing. You can play with your offering. You can turn an offering down. You know, you do have to be very much connected to your financial leader because, you know, how much promotions do you want to give on this one versus another one? You also, the patience part definitely comes because until a cycle gets completed of that particular subscription and product, you don't know if levers that are coming in, either from a seasonality perspective, if it's a B2B product, maybe there is no seasonality, but there are other fundamentals that are coming in, in terms of, you know, when budgets are getting out there and when, you know, procurement is doing something or when certain idea of teams are coming together. So for you to understand those levers, you would have hopefully done research, but I would say you have all the customer data because that's how they are interacting. You are direct in that case. Look at that. That gives you so much more to do what you need to do with marketing than what you typically have done with marketing. It's fascinating. I mean, yeah. it really is fascinating to your point. You are right there. The information is literally staring at you. There's no guesswork. There's no, let's roll this campaign out. Let's hope people walk into the store. We'll see what our sales look like, you know, 60 days from now. I mean, it's right there. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. And so you say, see that every day. Yeah. Every day, every day. So listen, we want to thank you so much uh, for being a guest uh, on the show. If you do not follow Parmita, you should uh, check her out on LinkedIn, stalk her a little bit there. That's what I did. Um, and the beauty of the podcast is again, we get to talk to a lot of different marketers from all over uh, the world, really check out Blurb as well. It's a really cool and interesting product. And I wish you the best of luck uh, with your time that you're there. Thank you, Sean. And thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Thanks for hanging out in the CMO suite. The podcast for marketers who want to be in the know. Presented by Connectivity Holdings. You're a C-level manager. 
You shouldn't have to know the difference between behavioral or contextual targeting, but your agency should. UConnect provides brands and biddable teams direct access to platforms like the Trade Desk, Google, Amazon, Facebook, OTT, and more. Their US-based traders can train your in-house team or provide complete transparency with no minimums and CPM-based service pricing for true transparency. Something Mighty Hive, The Trade Desk, and Centro simply don't offer. Tired of being the smartest one in the room? Reach out to UConnects today for a free demo. UConnects, the world's leader in true, transparent, biddable media. Season six of the CMO Suite is presented by Bid for Media. Bid for Media is the leader in providing biddable media solutions across all forms of media, including traditional, digital, social, experiential, and more. It's like eBay for media, with choices from radio and TV advertising to OTT, trade desk, display advertising, influencer marketing, and more. No sign-up fees, no boring training, no bullshit. Visit them at bidformedia.com. And Winmo. Winmo is one of the leading sales prospecting tools that delivers the information you need to identify opportunities and close more deals with advertisers and agencies. Search brands, agencies, or contacts and leverage Winmo's smart filters to pare down thousands of prospects based on annual revenue, job title, locations, mobile occurrence, planning periods, and more. Visit them today at winmo.com. And finally, No Kid Hungry. With season six, we'll be completing our 100th episode of the CMO Suite, and we're proud to announce we'll be compiling highlights of our previous guests for a book called CMO Suites, Recipes for Success, with proceeds to benefit the No Kid Hungry organization. Help feed hungry kids by donating today at nokidhungry.org.